Let us seek God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we do turn to You now. We recognize that we are much in need of Your Holy Spirit to instruct us this morning. Not only that we might intellectually understand Your Word, but most of all, so that we might believe it and love You even more because of Your gospel of grace that we find in it. And so be with us today, we pray in this hour, that You would build us up in the Lord Jesus through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, our scripture lesson today comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. You'll find that on page 848 and 849 in the uh, Pew Bible. It's a well-known passage to many of us. You recall that Jesus has been answering questions, and this is one more question uh, during his last week of life in Jerusalem. We're told here, and one of the scribes came up and heard them discussing with one another, or disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I remember my first crush, it was fifth grade. I won't tell you her name, lest you go to Facebook and try to find her. Not that I have. I think it lasted one day, that was probably all she would entertain uh, of me. You know, we all have crushes while we're growing up. When we're young, they're not so traumatic when they come to an end. But as you get a little bit older, they become more traumatic. Many people have gone through the uh, season of life in which there is unrequited love in their life and they become heartbroken. Love is something that we all want. It's something that we're all made for. We are, in a sense, creatures of love because we're made in God's image and He is a God of love and He has made us to be like Him. We want to be loved by other people and we want to be in relationships from which we can express love to other people, that they might be able to receive it. No one dreams of being in a difficult relationship where love is absent. No one dreams of growing up and entering into a marriage in which love is absent. No child wishes to be in a family where love is absent. No church member wishes to be involved in a congregation where love is absent because we're made for it it's who we are we all want 
love, and God wants it too. He gives love, and He wants to receive love from us. It's the state in which He made us. Remember in the Garden of Eden where God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, and there was love between them. God loved Adam, and Adam returned that love to God. And so it's because we've been made and as image bearers of God, to be in a personal relationship with Him and personal relationships with others that we desire love. But in our day, love and law are often set against one another. They are described as being antithetical to one another. I know a pastor who told the story of how at some point along his preaching ministry, he decided that before every sermon, he would pray Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. And over time, a gentleman came to him from his congregation and said to him, if, if you keep praying that prayer, I don't know that I can stay here. He had been a man in his past who had been so abused by legalism by trying to attain God's favor through works righteousness and being a better man, that he could not stand to listen to that prayer that I might behold wondrous things from your law. He said that he could not even listen to the rest of the sermon once he heard the pastor pray. I'm sure the pastor handled that in a very wise fashion, but the question that you might want to ask him is, well, how do you love God how do you love God you've been saved by grace you love the Lord but how do you do it what does that look like what Jesus tells us here is basically that love is an expression of the law it's how we are to lovingly relate to God and to one another and so law and love are interconnected so that on one hand law is a guide for how we love and we are to keep the law because we love. And so Jesus is saying here that the law and love are interconnected. There's this scribe that comes to Jesus. He is, in some ways, very impressed by the way Jesus has responded to the questions thus far. And so he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, this was not a new question. In fact, it was a question that many of the scribes would debate among themselves. They were the theologians of the day, ever since the exile. And so they would ask themselves, which one is the greatest? According to their count, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And they would weight them, the weightier matters versus the lesser, lighter laws. Jesus himself speaks of this and makes reference to it in Matthew chapter 23 when he's speaking woes upon the Pharisees and scribes. And he says, you tithe dill and mint and cumin, the, the spices from your spice rack. You tithe those things. You offer a tenth to the temple. But you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so here the scribe wants to know, what's the weightiest matter of the law? Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus tells him, 
love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. These were not to be new teachings to the Jews. All Jesus does is quote the Old Testament from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus tells us that love is the essence of the law. And so for the Christian who has been saved by grace, we come into a new relationship with God in which he says, now love me, and the law tells you how to do it. So he gives us these two great commands. We ask the question, how are we to love God? He tells us this. This is the first point. point. We love God with our whole being. With our whole being. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He gives us different faculties of humanity. The heart. Actually, we usually speak of the heart in reference to our emotions. But in the Hebrew language, heart often referred to your mind, to the intellect, that there's something of the truth of God that you delight in. And so it says love with your heart, love with your soul, which is the the center of your life. Soul is used in a variety of ways, not simply to speak of spirit, but rather that life principle within us. God breathed into Adam and he became a soul, a living being. And he says, use your mind here to love God as well. Use your strength, everything that you have, everything that you can muster, everything that you're capable of is to be given to God in love. Now, what's Jesus saying here? There's certainly overlap in these terms. What he's saying is, is that however you want to speak of it, your life is to be characterized by complete devotion to God, to love Him with our whole being. Our whole being is to be, in a sense, in a love affair with our God. Now, before we go any further, we need to say something about what love is. People have tried to define it over the years. But love is certainly not the feeling that we get when other people respond to us. As Tim Keller says, who's a PCA pastor, that's just an ego trip. You want to feel good about yourself. That's not what love is. Certainly love involves emotion. But love is this. It's the desire and the effort to make another person great. What J.I. Packer tells us. And so in two, in two ways we can speak of love. One, it's an affection. It's a delight in something else. It's taking pleasure in God. So that there's something about the object of love that we just so delight in. That we have a deep affection for. And because of that, we have the desire and a purposeful commitment bless that person to bless it's because of the deep affection within us that we want to give ourselves to this person so that we bless them and as J.I. Packer says make them great it means simply to seek the good and the happiness the blessing the well-being of someone else 
And so the Christian who has been saved by God, who delights in God, whose affection is for God, who takes pleasure in God, can say with Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless your holy name. My whole being is given over to you. Your humor. Your humor is to be used to love God. Not to break down your neighbor. It's to be used to love him. It's to be used to laugh along with people, not at people. It's to glorify him. Your creativity is to be used to honor God and to love him. Our consciousness is to be used to glorify and love God. Our conscience is that thing within us that tells us what's right and what's wrong, what glorifies God and what doesn't. And sometimes we want to suppress it and push it down and say, I don't want to feel guilty. That's not loving God because God works through our conscience to bring us to a point of confession of sin that He might shower forgiveness and grace upon us. And so He says, love me with your conscience. Love me with your body. Use your body as instruments for righteousness, Paul says. Or your soul, that center of life within you, so that you want to praise God. Think of how we worship God. So often restrained. I know that most of us at least are Presbyterians and we're more restrained than others. But think of some of the ways in which the psalmist describe giving his whole being to God in worship. Clap your hands. Lift your hands. Break forth in joyous song. Bow down and give thanks. It's energetic. Giving our whole heart away to God. And so God wants us to love Him exclusively. Loving God is not a part-time affair. And yet, as you look through the Old Testament, that's what you see with God's people. So often, He speaks of His relationship with His people as this love affair, and yet they've gone after other lovers. He says, what I want the most from you is that you love Me. And the Bible assumes, the Bible assumes that on some level, we withhold ourselves from God. That's behind Jesus' question to Peter on the seashore. You remember Peter had been so bold in thinking that he would not fall away, and yet he was the one who denied Jesus three times. And after the resurrection, Jesus met with Peter on the seashore and three times asked the question, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? My friends, if we're going to love God with our whole being, we need to examine ourselves by asking some questions. What ways am I withholding myself from God? Or what part of my being am I unwilling to use to love God? Or since we're loving creatures made to love something else, what object do I love more than I love God? What in this world commands my affections more than God? See, these are all important questions for us to ask. If loving God is the essence of the Christian life, of the Christian faith, then our effort to engage in growing in holiness for God, in keeping the law, will always be frustrated to the extent that we don't actually love Him. 
much of our energies go into keeping particular commands. We sin and so we resolve once again, I'm, I'm going to keep this command. I'm going to be faithful here. We spend much energy trying to be faithful to keep commands. But if you don't actually love God, you'll be frustrated in keeping the commands. Friends, you can count on this. If, if love is absent, obedience will be lacking. If love for God is absence, obedience to God's command will be lacking. Because it's only when our affections for Him, our delight in Him, the fact that we take pleasure in Him, it's when that begins to grow that we actually want to keep His commands. And so the best way that we can raise our affections for God is this. To actually give ourselves away to Him. Our whole beings. Give it away to God. I've known people having visited third world countries who uh, were in marriages that were arranged for them. They didn't know the person ahead of time. And yet they were put in this relationship where they didn't know this person. And yet they were called to be faithful and love this person. To us, that seems so strange. In our day and age, the way we think about love is that it's sort of like a ditch that you just fall into, you're, you're overcome by. And therefore, when I find my soulmate, that's the person I'm going to give myself to. Now, I'm not promoting arranged marriages. But if you ask people who are engaged in relationships like that, married to people that they've been arranged to, they did not know ahead of time, if they actually gave themselves to loving that person, what they find is that over time it, it changes from duty to real love. From something I have to do to something that I want to do. And the same is true in our relationship with God. When we actually give every bit of our being to Him, what we find is our affections for Him to grow. When we praise Him and we speak well of Him, when we pray to Him and spend time, extended periods of time, telling Him how wonderful He is, how majestic He is, how loving and gracious and beautiful He is, what we find is that our, our affection for Him begins to grow and develop. What I'm saying is this, is that our affections for God and our desire to live for Him are interconnected with one another. And they are dependent upon one another. The shorter catechism of our confession of faith asks the question, what's the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What I want to tell you is when you spend your time glorifying God, you'll realize what it means to enjoy Him. And you'll enjoy Him even more. And then you'll want to glorify Him even more. And that's how love works. When we give ourselves to Him whole. Wholeheartedly. We learn what it's like to love Him wholeheartedly. God has given Himself to us without reservation. And He says to us that we are to give ourselves to Him without reservation. So that's the first thing Jesus says. We're to love God with our whole being. But secondly, He says we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the commandment that he gives to this scribe. Now, what does it mean to love as you love yourself? Most of the time, the 
way the Bible speaks of self-love and the way that we speak of self-love in the Christian faith is in a pejorative fashion. It's an, it's an arrogant, prideful, selfish, self-serving kind of love. But actually, the Bible refers to a righteous form of self-love. A proper way to love yourself. Proverbs 19.8 says this, Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. This is the point of the book of Proverbs. It's to say, examine your life and recognize that if you're following down the path of folly, it will lead to destruction. Love your soul that God has made and given to you enough that you don't go down the road to destruction. Jesus says very similar thing. Back in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own life? What he's calling us to do here is recognize that God has given us and made us something valuable. We're image bearers of Him. And there ought to be a sense within us of self-preservation to guard and to keep that which God has made to be good. That which God has made to reflect His glory. And so there's a proper sense in which we ought to love ourselves. And what God desires most is that we Delight to be the kind of people that do show forth His glory in the way in which we love others. If love is the desire and the effort to make someone more like Jesus, then a proper sense of self-love is that we desire that we become more like Jesus in every single way imaginable. We want our delight in God to shadow, overshadow other loves in this life. We want our worship of Him to overshadow every other worship. We want our pleasure, we want to have pleasure in doing His will. We want to hunger and thirst for righteousness because He loves righteousness. These are things of what it means to be like Jesus and to bear the image of God rightly in this world. And so God wants us to love ourselves with such a deep intensity that wants ourselves to be like Christ. He even says, I want you to be happy as you love yourself this way, pursuing the image of Jesus. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God. And on he, he meditates day and night. Or what about the Beatitudes? Blessed or happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are peacemakers. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so God wants us to have a vision and a goal for ourselves that we become like the Lord Jesus through His grace that we reflect to the whole world. Now here's what Jesus looks like. And proper self-love is the, both the desire and the effort to move our whole lives in that direction. And so if that's the way in which we are to love ourselves, then what Jesus says is, love your neighbor as you are to rightly, properly love yourself. That means if you look at the person next to you, your desire and the effort that you exert in this world ought to be to make that person more and more like Jesus. 
That should be the goal. That's the fulfillment of the commandment. That my neighbors around me become more like Christ. That's my desire. That's my effort that I want to exert for them. Now, what does that look like? Let me give first an illustration and then some points of application. Dr. Roger Bannister was the first man to run and break the four-minute mile barrier. Up until that point, people thought, well, this was impossible. And then as runners got closer to the four-minute mark, it seemed like it was more mental than it was physical. So while he was in medical school, Roger decided he was going to really give himself to this task to see if he could be the first one to break the four-minute mile. They had four other companions who were runners in medical school. Roger couldn't do this by himself. And so what would take place is that on the first lap, one of the other runners would start out ahead and break the wind for Roger. And he would set the pace and he would run his heart out. And when they got around to the next lap, that runner would fall off and the next runner would run in front of Roger as hard as he possibly could to set the pace to keep Roger on pace for the four-minute mile. And they did that through four runners until he finished three minutes, 59 seconds, and four one-hundredths. Now, these men wanted to be good runners, but they wanted Roger to be a better runner. And they did everything that they could, running with all that they had to make him better. That's a picture of what God is calling you and me to do is to give every ounce of effort to make one another more and more like Jesus. Now, what what can we say in terms of application? Let me say this first. First of all, we're to love others by taking care of ourselves. And that sounds a little odd. But physically, we ought to be taking care of ourselves well, to be in good health to be able to take care of our loved ones, at least the best health that we can possibly be. So we ought to be taking care of ourselves physically. You, you can probably relate to coming home from work and you're so exhausted that you have nothing left for your family. And God says, love your family enough that you take care of yourself so that when you come home, you're ready to give to them or to your church. We're also to take care of ourselves spiritually. We're to grow in the word. We're to grow in the knowledge of God. We're to grow in the grace of the gospel. We're to grow in the wisdom of the scriptures so that we can actually be a blessing to other people who come to us and wonder, what should I do here? And you and I are prepared to tell them, here's what the word of God says. Or not harboring bitterness within our own soul. We're not harboring our own sin and being unwilling to ask for forgiveness, but we're so spiritually sharpened because our relationship with God is so spiritually sharp that we're prepared to be a blessing to other people. And so we're to love ourselves physically and spiritually for others, but also emotionally so that we're those people who aren't harboring bitterness, who aren't angry all the time, who aren't frustrated all of the time and therefore as Peter says ineffective in ministering to other people and so the first thing that we could say is that we're to love others by taking care of ourselves but secondly we're to know other people 
If we're going to love other people, we need to know them. It requires knowledge. We can't say that we're loving other people unless we know how we can do that for this particular person. Your mechanic probably knows your car so well, if you take it to the same place over and over, knows your car so well, knows just what it needs and when it's going to need it. And the same is true for us. We're to know people well. Certainly we can't know everybody perfectly well, but we can know the people closest to us well and we can pursue others so that the details that we are so uh, engaged in in our own life become the details that we're engaged in in their lives, their families, their health issues, their spiritual needs. We love others as we love ourselves. We, we say those details are important to me too. And then finally, the third thing is to we're, we're to make an effort. So often it's easy just to say, Somebody else will do it. We're not a large church, but even in a church this size, we can say somebody else will do it. Somebody else in my family will take care of that need. Somebody else in my job, my workplace will take care of that need. And what he wants us to do is to make the effort because it's important to God. It ought to be important to us. This side of the fall, you and I know that love is a struggle. You and I know that we'll resolve to do this and we'll go forward from here and it will just seem to melt away. Jesus recognizes that as well. Our affections come and go. Our efforts to love, they wax and wane. We, we tend to rub each other the wrong way and we want to go our separate ways at times. How can we do this? Well, the third point is this. We love because we have been given hearts of love. Sometimes the law becomes a burden. And in some sense, you might say that was probably true for this man. He comes with, I think, a sincere question. He was very impressed by Jesus' answer. I don't think that he's coming in an antagonistic manner to Jesus and he understands here that this kind of law keeping is a matter of the heart. He says to Jesus, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, God doesn't simply want ritual. He doesn't just want ceremony. He doesn't want us just to show up at church. He doesn't want us just to go through the spiritual disciplines. What he wants is a real heart of affection for him and for his people. And so this scribe has it right. This issue of obedience is a matter of the heart. But you know what it's like when it becomes a burden. We do what this man is doing. He's looking for the greatest commandment so that he could put it up on his list and say, okay, that's the greatest one. This is the second greatest. I'll pledge myself to work harder on these two things. Today I'm going to love God and today I'm going to love my neighbor. And that's the vow. In some, some ways that's the right approach, but in some ways it's the wrong approach. Because if you're like this man who, as Jesus says, is not far from the kingdom, then that means you're not actually in the kingdom. 
And if you're not actually in the kingdom, then the reason you're keeping the list and trying to obey better is to somehow maybe be good enough to get into the kingdom. And for that person, the law becomes this great weight of burden. Even as Christians, sometimes we we view our relationship with God that way, that that I've got to be towing the line better. And when that's the case, we're not obeying the law because we love God and we love our neighbor. We're obeying the law simply because we love ourselves. That's what Jesus warns this man and really invites him in to say, now come into the kingdom by faith because what you need is not simply a new understanding of the law. What you need is actually a Savior who saves you from the condemnation of the law because the law will say, run, sinner, run, the law demands, but gives him neither feet nor hands, Martin Luther said. But what we need is Christ. And this is an invitation by the man to say, or by Jesus to the man to say, come to me in faith. You're not far. You know it's a matter of the heart. You can't do this, my friend. What you need is Jesus and his grace working in you and for the person who actually enters into the kingdom and recognizes I've been I've been forgiven so much. I've been loved so well by God. Now I do want to give my life away to Him. See, it's God's love in the Gospel that frees us not only from sin, but it frees us from the drudgery of trying to perform for God. William Cooper, the great hymn writer, who was often depressed and struggled with spiritual depression, wrote this hymn, Love Constrained to Obedience. And the last verse says this, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's what God wants. He says, come to me, enter the kingdom by faith in Christ, and then you'll learn what it really means to love. Let me close with this illustration. A number of years ago, there people called the Uduk people of the Sudan. And these people made their escape from an Islamic government that had forbidden them to practice their Christian faith. Some years earlier, the Uduk people had learned of the love of Christ and the gospel of grace from two single missionary women who had gone over to the Sudan. And now 13,000 of them who did not want to bow to the tyranny of this Islamic government, fled from Sudan to Ethiopia. Many of them actually starved along the way. And they landed in a refugee camp there, where each one of them received one handful of grain per day. Now, a missionary society learned of what had taken place. And they contacted these two women missionaries who had been there and pre- or ministered the gospel to them. And they said, we want to reunite you with these people. And so they flew them over to Ethiopia. And on their arrival, the women received a gift from the people. It was a box of eggs. Now, we have grocery stores. We can go down to the, the corner grocery store and get 
as many eggs as we want. We don't really understand the sacrifice that would require for this. Because you see, even though, even though they had no food to give to the chickens, they would take food out of their small little handful and give it to the chickens so that the chickens could produce eggs. Even though visibly they were malnourished and that their children actually had red hair because they were so malnourished. And the women were wondering, what, what would cause these people to give such a sacrifice to us? And after they gave them the gift, the women uh, realized the answer. The people broke out in song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. They had been overwhelmed by the grace of God. The love of God in Christ that would send His own Son to pay for their sins that they might be set free. And so they wanted to give their life away. They wanted to worship Him. And they wanted to bless other people in whatever small way they possibly could. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Let us love our God and let us love one another. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we turn to You and we, we confess that we have not loved You and one another as we ought. Lord, it is the great desire of Your heart that our whole lives be consumed with loving You and loving one another. Help us in that. Stir, stir us in our hearts by the grace of the Gospel that we might spur it on in that kind of love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.